Hey everybody, welcome back to Simmer Down with Viv. This week's episode is all about Chinese school. What the heck is Chinese school? I'm sure a lot of you are thinking. In addition to Monday through Friday, like regular schooling, we had a supplement schooling, which is called Chinese school, and you learn how to read and write Chinese. And it wasn't fun. I have to say, like right off the bat, it wasn't fun. Why? Because it was Saturday mornings from 9 to 12 every week in Chinese most of the time. And you probably are thinking, well, if you're learning at home, why do you need to go to a school for it? Our parents do speak to us in Chinese, whether it's Cantonese or Mandarin. However, it's not formally taught. There's no like textbooks. And if your family was to do that, it would take a lot of time. It's a lot of repetition. Also in Chinese school, you can choose to take Cantonese or Mandarin. What does that mean? It's basically the same textbook, just on the side of each character, there's another phonetic thing that is part of it. So it teaches you how to say it. So instead of saying Chinese like Lehoma, which is Cantonese of how are you doing, in Mandarin it's Nihaoma. So the tone is a little different and it sounds kind of similar, but I think the best way I can describe it is similarities between Italian and Spanish. For example, if you're trying to say bathroom, in Spanish it's baño, in Italian it's baño, and the spelling's about the same, it's B-A-N-O, and in Italian it's B-A-G-N-O. So you hear it's like baño, baño. It's really where you emphasize on the syllable. So straight off the bat, I want to say that I hated Chinese school. I wanted to be the kid that slept in, ate cereal, watched Saturday morning cartoons. And Chinese school did not allow that. So yeah, we never got to watch Saturday morning cartoons. We would record it on a VHS. For those who don't know what a VHS is, Google it. It's a very old school way of recording things from the television because you needed your tape recorder. It's, it's all this stuff. We were only able to watch our cartoons after we did all our homework. So probably like Sunday night or Saturday night because there was so much homework. We had regular homework and we had Chinese school homework. And Chinese school homework consists of a lot of essays, a lot of memorizing, there's a lot of tests, and you constantly have to do repetitive writing. So you would have to write one character over and over and over again so you memorize the stroke. I will dive a little more in depth about all the strokes and characters and what all that means because you're like, we're not swimming, we're in Chinese school. Well, I was in Chinese school. We're just exploring it together. So let's get the fundamentals of what Chinese school is. There was an organization called Mingyun and they held it at a public school. They would rent out the space for that period of time. So Chinese school is rather expensive. It's about $500 per child. That's the tuition you have to pay. And it's about the same school year from September to June. My parents didn't have a lot of money, as you guys know. They still saved for Chinese school because they knew how much education mattered and how beneficial it was for us for the future, even though we didn't want to go. So three kids, $500 each. That's about $1,500, and this was a while ago. So imagine today, it would probably be like $4,500. It's a big number, and it's kind of sucks for them because we didn't want to go, and they're like, we're saving up what we can to put you through schooling. So we could have been a little more appreciative, honestly. But the good thing about Chinese school, one of the core values that Chinese school had was if you got number one in your class, that means your GPA was the highest, and you passed your final with the highest score, then your tuition was waived. So my sister and my brother always 
had really good grades and they were always number one in their class. So tuition was waived for them. However, I was number two or number three. And unfortunately, it was not waived. It was not discounted. So I think that's just one of the, that's a little insight of showing how much the Chinese culture and Chinese community values education. They really want you to strive to be the best you can be in terms of grades because there's a reward in that. And the reward is you work hard, you get good grades, so tuition is waived. That's awesome. Like imagine going to college for free because you ha- you graduated valedictorian. I'm sure everyone worked a little bit harder because they don't want to pay for college tuition. And that's the same theory. But as a child, I wanted to take ballet class or I wanted to take some kind of sport camp or anything that other kids were doing. But we didn't get that luxury. We got a different kind of luxury, which was education. And my parents did that because they knew it was very important to understand our mother language, our mother tongue, to speak it, to read it, and to write it. Chinese is not like English. There are no alphabets. It's not 26 characters and then you make it into a word. There are over 50,000 characters. 50,000. Yes, you heard it. And it is incredibly tricky and incredibly hard to learn how to write these characters. Don't get me wrong, there are very simple characters like one, which is just a horizontal line, and that's one. However, when you get more kind of like SAT level, one character could have as many as like 25 strokes. That is insanity. What is a stroke? When You know when you make like a T, you would have two strokes because the horizontal and then the vertical. So imagine you're writing a character every time your pen touches paper, that's another stroke. So every action is a stroke. For an average person that just has to do day-to-day basic knowledge, kind of like I would say maybe high school like equivalent, like GED equivalent, you need to know about 8,000 characters. That's, how, that's just how to function in everyday life. To read a newspaper, you need to know about 5,000. And then to speak, you need to know about 3,000. The 50,000 is really for like the scholars that are like all together as a language as a whole. So I don't know of anyone that I know knows all 50,000 characters. That's like pretty insane. Luckily, there are dictionaries and we can get more into that later because a dictionary, a Chinese dictionary is hard to figure out, but they exist because no one knows all 50,000. In terms of the Chinese language, there are so many characters because every thought, every action, every thing that you can imagine has a specific character to describe that. What am I talking about? Perfect example, family tree. So if you say, that's my aunt, or that's my uncle, that's what it is. It's like somehow they're related to you, but you don't know exactly where they fall in your family tree. In the Chinese language, if you say, that is my thai bot, or my yi, or yi jeng, or samsok, or mama, or popo, like all those all those pronouns have a specific meaning. Samsok means that that person is the younger brother of your father. So he's your paternal uncle again. Your yi yi means from your mother's side and she's the younger sister of your mom. So you have to see like every time someone is called, they're like, oh, that is from your maternal side. That is from your paternal side. And that is how exact the Chinese language it is. There is no confusion and everything. And it's also pretty formal. So the way you read and the way you speak are two very different things. And I had no idea this was how it was for the longest time. I can be like, hey, what's up? What are you doing for breakfast? But the way you write it, it's so traditional and it's so proper. It's kind of like reading Shakespeare versus speaking normal. Like 
hey, Romeo, do you want to go out and like, you know, chill and go on a date? No, no. Where are thou, Romeo? It's like things like that. Like thou? Nobody doesn't talk about thou. That doesn't make no sense. But back in the day, that's how this language was built and it's tradition. So now that we got that out of the way, let's talk about the teachers. So the teachers all have regular nine to five jobs or like regular jobs. And they come every Saturday to teach the next generation about the Chinese culture and how to read and write. They do get paid, so it's not like volunteer. I found that to be really special just because they took the time out to teach the next generation to make sure that we wouldn't forget our culture, we wouldn't forget our language, and most importantly, to read and write because that's how you really get immersed in a language. You have to know how to use it in the right way. And that's how it lives on because that's how written documents happen. That's how that's how history is formed and that's how you pass it on from generation to generation. So kudos to those teachers. So now let's talk about Chinese school. What is Chinese school? So you start as young as three years old and that's how my siblings and I all started. We're not the same age, but once we turned three, we would go with our little backpacks. And the first, I have to say, the first two levels are really simple and they're fun because you're learning how to write your name. And that really depends on your name itself, like whatever your parents gave you. Most Chinese kids have a Chinese name. And you know how, like, my name is Vivian Chan, and Chan is, the family name is the last part. In Chinese, you always write your first name last. So you write your family name first. So it's actually Chan Vivian. And traditionally, it can be two characters. So it's your first name and your last name. Or it can be three characters. Like Vivian can be broken down into two characters. Each character has a specific meaning. Like Vivian means energetic and lively. And in Chinese, my name symbolizes to be empathetic and to be kind-hearted. However, if there was another Vivian, it doesn't mean that we have the same name meaning. Their parents could have chose a different set of characters that mean something completely different, such as to be wise or daring. So it's not as simple or it's not as straightforward. It's really whatever the parents want. They choose a specific character and they hope their child is able to live up to this name or this character and this meaning. So after the fun and games of level one and two, where they teach you how to do like little nursery rhymes or read you books, you get to first grade. And that is where the serious business starts happening. You learn to read and write. So we always have these little thin textbooks. They kind of remind me of a more serious Dr. Seuss book. They're very thin, but let me tell you, they are filled with characters, filled with stories of history, folk tales. And after reading each paragraph, you have to answer like questions. You have to write an essay. Depending on your level, your essays can be 25 characters, which probably means that you just got the basic info of that character's name and his location. And then as you get older, your essays have to be about 1,000 to 5,000. If it's a final, it's probably like 5,000. And also don't think, oh, I'll just write really big. Oh, no, no, no. The paper they give you are boxes. So imagine a legal-sized piece of paper filled with tons of little boxes and you have to write each character in there. And you know how like American books, we start by reading left to right and it's across? From Chinese, you're reading from the right side and it's columns. So you go down. You also get tested on using the right word, writing it correctly, that's like spelling, and also penmanship. If you write like a slob or like chicken scratch, your teacher is going to dock your points and that's like another like 10 points. And yes, it's out of 100. 
if your essay is 5,000, how many 10 points can you afford for one character? You do the math. So you definitely don't, you try to, you definitely don't want to mess that up. You try to be as neat as possible and you're trying to make sure that you're answering all the questions and it's a lot of reflecting, like how you felt about this or it also talks about like, why is your mother your most important? It's a lot of family values tied into history and folk tales that also at the end of the day just teaches you more stuff about the Chinese culture. Um, and on top of that, because that isn't enough, you have to do readings. You have to memorize long pieces of Chinese history that you probably don't know what the heck happened. And you have to just say it in front of your class. It's a class of about 15 students. They are all very sympathetic because they all know we are struggling in this together. And last but not least, there are performances. Each class had to get up on stage in the auditorium and you would have to recite either solo or together or sing songs and do like a dance about the main essay that you had to learn in class, the main story, or your teachers would just pick one if they didn't have a theme. Um, it was terrifying. It was terrifying because that's where you learn to develop stage fright. You have no idea what you're saying. All these parents are just staring at you. And yes, they judge. They would know, hey, you've been in class for X amount of years. You should be able to know this. Or wow, that kid got really big. Or that kid's really good. How come you're not good enough? It's constant. You're constantly under a microscope and being compared, constantly compared to your peers. So I know you guys are probably thinking, wow, Chinese school sounds like a nightmare. It sounds absolutely awful where you had no fun and you weren't able to be creative in any sense. You're right. You didn't get to be creative because you're there for one reason. You're there to learn. And you're there to learn about the history and you're there to learn about how to read and write. However, as an adult and looking back on it, I feel incredibly grateful that my parents put me there and put my siblings there because of that reason. We can speak Chinese fluently. Yes, we speak it at home, but to read and to write, I can look at a storefront and I can be like, oh, I know what they're selling or I know how to translate things for some of my friends. I can help my grandmother if she can't read something. I can write my mom and dad and my own name in Chinese and I can write grandma. Like when, when I'm writing my grandmother a card, I can actually write it in the language she understands, which I find to be endearing. And also I'm really proud that I have this skill and I have this language in, which is connected to my history, my family tree, who I am as a person. Yes, I know I'm Chinese, but to read and write a language I feel like you're adding to it. You're able to continue it. I don't know a lot of my friends that can read and write in Chinese. And it's kind of a unique skill that I'm able to share. Like I tell Jay all the time, oh, that that means restaurant or that means bao or that means fish. Like little things like that. And he's like, oh, that's so cool. Or like, okay. And then he starts recognizing it. And yes, we, we probably can't. No, we definitely cannot read a newspaper together. But we can go to a restaurant and we can order food. I know that if I have a friend that has an allergy to something, I'm like, you can't order that. That means shrimp. And even though the title might not have it and that's good that's knowledge and I'm able to share that and take care of my friends and family in a way that I wouldn't have been able to if I didn't go to Chinese school like let's be honest I wouldn't be able to translate for my grandmother at the doctors or when I travel I wouldn't be able to read signs and sometimes when you go to a foreign country it's important to know at least a few basic things because not everywhere speaks English so it actually came in really handy when I was in Hong Kong and actually in Japan too some of the characters were similar so I was like, that's cool. Like I had no idea. I'm constantly learning. And I think if I didn't even recognize some of those characters, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't even make that connection. So all this about the Chinese language and reading and writing. I don't know if a few of you are interested right now or feeling inspired that you're like, hey, I want to learn Chinese. So Chinese is one of the hardest languages to learn because it's all about tone, how you say things. Obviously in 
English, you can be like, hey, where are you? And hey, where are you? Like that's like tone too. But in terms of like tone in Chinese, a simple word, I'm going to just translate it, which is like ma, M-A. It can mean ma, like eh, ma, ma, day. Like, eh, it's okay. Or ma, like a horse. So it's really, you, you're probably like, you sound the same. Ma and mama. It's like higher tone, lower tone. That's really how a lot of the languages, that's a lot of how the language works. It's infliction of tone. And also, if you want to learn to write Chinese, you need to get a Chinese dictionary. And the way you work through a Chinese dictionary is not alphabetical order. Every character has a family. So for example, fish is a character that belongs to the water family. And what does that mean? If you were looking to figure out how many strokes one character has, you would have to go into the water section of that dictionary. And then within there, all the characters that are related to the water sign would have that letter. And it's not really about how many strokes, but it's it's like characterized differently. Don't worry, they have directions that you can learn, but that's how complicated it is. And I think there are about like eight or 10, I think there's 10 actually, of the mother signs. And the mother signs are the ones that are the leaders. So there's like wood, there's water, there's fire and, and people. So each character will be in that section. Forest would be under wood. It's actually really easy to write forest because it's just two wood characters stuck together. Another great way to use a dictionary or translate things in Chinese is called pinyin. And pinyin is, well, I used to do this a lot. I would write in my textbooks the sound it made. Like, for example, let's use wood again. But like, mok, mok, right? Mok is how you say wood. I would write M-O-K. You're not really supposed to write English like to to make the sound but that's what pinyam is pinyam is to like make the noise or make the how it sounds and then you would look for it in a dictionary you can also do this on a verbal dictionary it's actually much easier and there's a new way of writing chinese it's called simplify chinese so traditional chinese i'm sure you guys see it on like google translate and stuff there's two different kinds so traditional chinese has all the traditional strokes so a character might again have 25 strokes and some people are like that's too much so they kind of abbreviated that character and made it into 10 strokes so those are the two differences if you have traditional writings from like packaging it would be traditional most likely but sometimes and storefronts are always traditional but there's some things that if you're trying to like shorthand it's simplified chinese so it has less strokes so those are the two differences if you guys see i know this is a very quick and abbreviated version of what chinese writing is i'm sure there's more a lot more information out there just google and learn um but back to chinese school because now that we've done that my favorite part about chinese school which you probably didn't know i had one was what happened after chinese school so every saturday after chinese school my siblings and i would get picked up by my parents and we would go to dim sum with my cousin who also went or some friends and we would sit there and let me tell you saturdays after chinese school dim sum is popping you cannot get a seat you would have to wait but when we eventually got a seat we would all sit around and we would order a lot of food because we were starving and we would have hakao and sumai egg tarts tripe stew like everything you could imagine like crispy stuff fried stuff tofu pudding like everything about dim sum which is why dim sum holds such a special part was that was the reward after sitting in school and like having to do you know all these like writing and like performances and everything like this is your reward and we had it every saturday so dim sum to me holds a very very special place in my heart i actually go to dim sum quite often with jay or like my friends and it always brings me back to why saturdays are always extra busy i don't know if people go to chinese school anymore or as much but i know that 
it's definitely family bonding time and it's just like the two hours i don't have to think about anything i just get to enjoy so many different kinds of food and they're all just so tasty and they just make me so happy if you guys haven't been to dim sum you guys need to go check it out don't find it intimidating it's yes it's loud and it's crazy and stuff but the food is really good if you don't know what to order there's always a server that's willing to help you out translate and you know what if they're little dishes they're like chinese tapas so why not get a little bit if you don't like it get rid of it and try something new since we're talking about dim sum, let's talk about the recipe for this episode. I'm going to show you how to make, drum roll, siumai. And siumai is traditional Hong Kong Cantonese style. There's so many different kinds. If you go to Vietnam, they have a version. If you go to Philippines, they have a version. If you go to Japan, they have a version. But overall, it's about the same idea. It's like an open dumpling. It's not sealed completely. It's usually somewhat of a circular cylinder shape. They're tiny little bites. And they have a mixture of pork and shrimp. Given if you don't want to have pork, you can always switch it up. But also, you have to make sure it's nice and fatty and juicy because you don't want to dry shumai. I leave all of that information on the website simmer down with viv under the recipe tabs that's where all the recipes ever live also i do want to leave on a happy note i I know like it was pretty sad when i was like i didn't get to watch cartoons and stuff but on a happy very successful note is the three of us my siblings and i all graduated from chinese school and that was about 14 years of schooling we can all read and write my sister is actually the best at reading and writing she retained the most i hope this conversation inspired you guys to dive in a little more into your own culture learn the language learn the food learn about what makes you guys you and what makes your family that like get to know those traditions i think it's really cool if you can't read and write don't worry speaking it is also just as important but be proud of where you're from and be proud of the people that came before you i'll talk to you guys next time thanks for listening Simmer Down with Viv is produced by me, Vivian Chan, and Tracy Gushkin from With You Media. For more information, visit Simmer Down with Viv on Instagram, With You Media on Instagram, or SimmerDownWithViv.com and WithYouMedia.com. Material has everything for your kitchen, from cutting boards to tools and my favorite, knives. Say hello to the trio, the 8-inch chef's knife, a 6-inch serrated knife, and a 4-inch almost knife three knives that you're going to need no matter where you are or what you do. Check out materialkitchen.com or material on Instagram. Use promo code SimmerDownWithViv for 10% off your next purchase. Stay sharp, guys and gals.